Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Barbara Dissinger. Barbara is uh, passionate about the advancement and promotion of women. She set up the Women in Mining UK in April 2006 and International Women in Mining in November of 2007. Barbara worked in executive search for 15 years, of which nine were in the mining prior to joining WISE Campaign Women in Science and Engineering in 2015 to advance her knowledge of diversity and inclusion. She was in that role for four years, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Barbara in several fora in the mining industry. Barbara, welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. Hello, Sheila. That's wonderful. But Barbara, I wanted you to talk about, you know, inclusion, especially the public participation in the space of mining. Does public participation in the context of a private company differ from accounting and public participation in governments? Um, Yes, they differ. Um, This is because, I mean, private companies generally in government have different legal obligations, goals, and most importantly, their stakeholders and customers differ. Private companies are responsible for generating profits, creating value for their shareholders, Whereas governments, on the other hand, are accountable to the public, generally speaking, and have a legal responsibility to represent and serve the interests of their citizens. Um, however, I would say that over the last, I don't know how many number of years, um, companies have become more and more accountable to the public about what they do, how they hire, how they behave, right? how they promote diversity, how they pollute or not pollute, for example, or how they compensate the intervention they do on the land and more. Um, so I would say that from a mining perspective or for other industries, um, there definitely is more scrutiny and conversation with the public is starting to happen. Yeah. Now, uh, do you think uh, in that same vein that ESG debates have changed the way we view accountability or sustainability for that matter? Um, I mean, they, they started sort of in the 60s, if, if you will, and have become much more prominent in the past 10 to 15 years. Um, the ESG debates highlight the need for companies and organizations to consider the broader impact of their actions beyond simply generating profits for their shareholders and checks and balances. So we now have an increased importance of accountability for environmental impact, social responsibility and governance practices. And without this ESG debate, we would not have the push for this greater transparency and accountability in companies' social environmental impacts, including their carbon emissions, labor practices and supply chain sustainability. So we we do now have these reporting standards that we need to uphold. We have an increased awareness about the importance of sustainability and the need for organizations to take a longer term perspective in their decision making. And ESG has become an essential component and is expected to play an increasingly important role in shaping the future of the corporate world. Um, However, I would say that what is good is that the social aspects are now also taken into consideration beyond human rights which was how sustainability viewed society beforehand. Um, And sustainability without a diverse decision-making process is not sustainability. So um, 
the ENG, when when we come to mining specifically, the E and the G are more understood. Um, however, um, there's a big push on the conversation on the S. So do you think that this increased understanding of the S element of the ESG is helpful to your initiatives, uh, which focus on being more inclusive when dealing with uh, gender issues? Um, yes, certainly. Um, there is um, a lot to do in that space for companies to be truly inclusive um and having um sort of standards and regulations and guidelines certainly helps with it i mean when, when you uh work in the space of women in mining what are the things that you are advocating for instance which you think if done would increase uh inclusivity um you know mining companies are um often successful in attraction and recruitment um, of women into so maybe less promotion um, as well. So lots of people, women especially, are and they're very talented women, are leaving not only mining companies, but the sector full stop. So there's not enough effort spent on retention. And for us, we find that has to do with the workplace itself and the work culture, which has not evolved. Um, and that is time um, to assist or guide, um, you know, there is from a lot needs to change, not just on PPE, which is mentioned, um, but around many more areas from shift design to neurodiversions to uh, parental leave, but also child care facilities to menstruation, uh, menopause, changing rooms, but also the security at mine side, lactation, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, Which will uh, then make people more include, feel included and a sense of belonging so that they are fully part of the company um, and then can feel that they can be authentic and properly perform. That's lovely. So I, I wonder... Um whether this experience or this uh you know failure of the workplace to evolve to be more inclusive how peculiar is it do you think to the mining industry or the extractives i don't think it's exclusive um to the mining sector you can have similarities in I don't know oil and gas construction um utilities um, I don't know, renewables or, or any other um, sort of sector that was maybe originally designed for men, by men. Um, and that's a model that worked very, very well for them uh, for quite a long time. However, economy has changed, society has changed, the needs have changed. So we are at a crossroad of companies having to decide how much this model will serve them in the future. And if not, well, then sort of very specific structural changes need to occur. And mining is basically grappling with so many other trends and things that it also needs to do at the same time.
Um, sure. So, so that there's a lot to um, cope with or implement or do at any specific time from, I don't know, you know, uh, tailings, my enclosure, decarbonization, automation, you know, everything's sort of coming um, in droves, um, hitting mining companies at the same time, including um, sort of more and more reporting. Um, so that there's a lot for mining companies to wrap their heads around. Sure. I mean, you talked earlier about uh, ESG reporting, and I wanted to get a sense from you of, you know, what are you seeing in terms of mining companies' approach uh, to, you know, reporting on gender issues uh, you know, it's one thing to say gender issues. What are you seeing, for instance, as, as the, the area of focus and, and how they are dealing with that from an ESG perspective? Um, there's obviously still a long way to go to achieve gender um, equity, but also gender equality in the mining industry. Uh, there are ongoing challenges. Um, and, for example, women remain underrepresented in the industry, particularly in technical leadership roles. There is still several forms of discrimination, harassment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, overall, mining companies' approach to public accounting on gender have evolved since the creation of the ESG frameworks, which now require companies to report their performance in a range of social issues, including diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and when they report, it, it can lend or lead to greater attention to them. Um, we have seen also gendered impact assessments um, coming to the fore in addition to ESIAs, and these are very good. Uh, however, very few companies adopt them. Um, gender impact assessments at the beginning of projects add a gender component throughout mine life cycle enclosure, and it allows for all impacts of mining to be gendered. So this um, and then mining communities are properly included as well, um, and all genders are taken into account. So that would be good, for example, to see sort of more of, um, but the fact that companies are reporting in terms of basic gender requirements on their sustainability report is already um, an improvement and a positive. However, many of these are very basic, um and it would be good to see more depth yeah my sense is that there is an intersection between women's rights human rights and public voice uh do you agree and if you do where and how do you see this overlap well there is an overlap and there isn't um or maybe the overlap is in the fact that all individuals, regardless of gender, have fundamental human rights that must be respected and protected. And women's rights are therefore human rights. So um, such they are protected under international human rights law, which includes um, a number of protocols. So if you say women's right, you it's a subsection, if you want, of human rights. And so maybe that's where the overlap may be. Um, all of these instruments recognize that women have the right to participate in public life and decision-making on equal terms with men. When women are unable to participate in public decision-making, their human rights are violated and their perspectives and needs are not adequately represented. 
So we direct our efforts to address gender-based discrimination and stereotypes to promote women's leadership and empowerment and make sure that women in the industry have equal access to education, employment, and other opportunities that enable them to participate in public life. Mm. So if, if one thinks about one of those focus areas, uh, say, for instance, women in leadership, let's spend a little bit uh, more time on that. Is women's leadership uh, a function of the economics of uh, women being in position of leadership? Or is it because we believe that by having women in a position of leadership, we'll have greater empathy and, and that a, a better understanding of what we need in terms of the environment? In other words, distinctly, uh, why women in leadership and perhaps uh, not something else? Um, we need we need um, diversity of thought at all levels, not just leadership. Um, however, um, it's interesting that, say, a number of companies are achieving um, intake at 40 to 50 percent um, of women and men. However, there are maybe five or six female CEOs and very few um, and it dwindles as the career progresses. So there's obviously some bottlenecks um, because the 50% of men that come in do have a career progression. So there's some visible elements there. I don't think that is necessary to have to for that, and that's not what it is about. Um, we believe that a critical mass of 30% at leadership level allows quite a lot of other things to percolate. Um, if a woman is the only woman, say on a board or on a senior um, position, um, A, there's the, puts her in a very, I don't know, compromising position of possibly being seen as a spoken woman rather than being there for merit. Um, but also it's very difficult for her to push through real change if she believes real change is needed. Um, so only when everyone, you know, successful can um, be at the top and have joint decision-making will we also see um, better decision-making um, and not just homogenous decision-making. Sure. Uh, I think uh, the you cite several aspects, the one being that having diverse, diverse voices uh, around a decision-making platform improves the very quality of uh, decisions. And, and I think that then means that it's not uh, just about women, it's actually about running better corporations based on uh, diversity of voices and based, therefore, on being fully representative of the society in which we live. And that when we don't do that, not only do we perpetuate that uh, you know masculine view of the world, but actually the company we, we run are not as well run as they could be. Uh, I, I think Correct. this is something. I think this is something that people yeah. forget, isn't it, uh, Barbara? Yeah, no, they they do forget, and they also need to be representatives, obviously, specifically mining of the mining community or the areas where they 
you know, work. Um, and it is important to remember that when we say gender, we also mean gender intersectionality. So we need not just, it's not about men and women on its own, Sheila. It's also about bringing all aspects of diversity and inclusion in, especially ethnicity as well, um, socioeconomic backgrounds, age, you know, but also sexuality, religion, um, and many other aspects, including ability. So, you know, we could probably learn so much more if we also made sure that we brought people that are blind and deaf into an organization. Um, mining's not set up for that um, yet. Um, but I think the companies would become so much better at, as I said earlier, the, the industry has so many challenges that it needs to overcome. And I think it could be much more better performing and more innovative and creative if it brought people from much wider bases of society in as well to sort of participate directly in in mining and and help it become the best it can be. Sure. You know, mm, listening to you talk about the different if you've been you know human profiles uh in our society, whether it is based on gender, race, age, uh and you know physical or lack of physical impairment, I'm reminded that in addition to that broad spectrum, we also, of course, have, as a point of reference, very many standards uh, to draw from to try and improve uh, governance, sustainability, and inclusivity. Here I'm reminded of the OC, OECD uh, governance guidelines, we have the IFC's equated principles. We have the UN's uh, UN Global Compact. And now we have ESG. How do interest groups like yours, Women in Mining, find their way through all these standards and land at a place at which they have a fairly practical uh, tool to refer to? How do you find your way through these standards, uh, Barbara? Uh, yes, I mean there are even more than the than the ones you mentioned. Um, none of them are. We see them as not necessarily exclusive of each other. Um, they many of them focus on maybe the same things, maybe said in a different way or approached from a different perspective. Um, they aim at outcomes like advocating for human rights, ensuring they're not transgressed, people have equal opportunities, or how to do business responsibly in a transparent manner. Um, and in addition, there are also standards, um, and but there most of the guidelines are not gendered, um, and gender is not specifically addressed. In most of these, gender is considered transversal, and it's up to the organization to understand that each of the points that they're reporting against would be inclusive for all genders. Policymakers have become more aware of the fact, and now some are making efforts to add or bring out new versions, etc. So. We do try and navigate and look at all of them. If we talk about mining specifically, there's very few specific mining standards. Um, GRI and ISO are not gendered and mostly very general. Um, 
but there's all there are also EITI World Gold Council and ICMM uh, who ask their members companies to report on a number of gender aspects. There are Coppermark, TSM, and Irma where we are involved uh, talking more openly, um, and they are more specific about gender. And Irma is the most complete. Um, all of these do not exclude each other and are all relevant and important, but I understand that it's very easy for mining companies to sort of see standard soup um, and to kind of rebel and do not want to report more. So I think there's a, there is a conversation towards how can we align some of these more together to help mining companies actually report better um, and not add it to become too onerous, but still achieve the transparency um, that is required. We review um, a lot of these standards and support the organizations behind them um, and promote a more gendered approach. Yeah, uh, you know, it's of course easy for us to speak of mining companies, but uh, you and I know that you know, there's a, a very wide range of mining companies. There is small privately owned companies. There's very large listed companies. And then there is state-owned companies. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether in your experience you see any differences and any trends that differentiate uh, these types of mining companies from each other when it comes to issues of uh, women and gender parity? Um, sure, there, there's there's huge differences. Um, some don't, I mean, the ones that report most um, are the largest mining companies. Uh, they have to report because they're listed, but also because there's a lot of attention on them. Um, and partly are the ones that extract um, the most ore. So there's a lot of uh, responsible supply chains and responsible sourcing and responsible everything sort of lands on them, which then trickles down to diversity, equity, inclusion as well. Um, mm -hmm. Other companies are listed, but they're junior or, or you know, um, they need to do less reporting because of the type of company they're at. There's some company that are state-owned or um, are from countries where reporting is less stringent or non-existent. So unfortunately, um, it's only very little reporting if you think of it that way. If you take the whole globe into account, there's some very good corporate global citizens right in the midst of it. And they do account maybe for some mining, but there's also a lot of um, ASM mining. Um, and there's a lot less accountability there. Um, it would be great, of course, to have less greenwashing, pinkwashing as well, and whatever else that there is. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done also to ensure that there are, in, in so many standards, you can sort of say no progress or don't want to declare or you know, you only have to declare if you have, I don't know, more than 100 employees. There are, you know, ceilings of this from when you need to report. So it would be great for that to be, for it to be more onerous for everyone from where I stand. Um, 
but those companies are sadly or it's it's not sad but i mean as in they're not prepared for it they they're, they're too small for that to be part of um they don't have the capacity for for that either so where's the line in the sand it's it's difficult conversation there needs yeah. to be more transparency and public reporting for society as well to be aware of what really happens yes uh, i mean you know to, to the extent that uh, esg standards look at companies to assess themselves and inform the public how is this effective by uh, giving the lack of trust uh, how can we go back to the same companies to report when we have already expressed lack of trust and credibility in them I mean, there is a very prominent trend looking at how companies report their sustainability information, right? Um, the standards or the guidelines through which they inform us um, aren't always binding, right? And they aren't always all-encompassing of all of the things civil society might want to know uh, or need to know. Um, so... For, it could be a tick-in-the-box exercise, right? And early minimum requirements filled in. So you can fulfill the task without really re reporting. So there are different ways that companies are using it to their advantage when they want to avoid reporting information that isn't either beneficial to them or to their reputation. Um, so in general, let's say that there is a lack of trust, not just because of the reporting, but you know, you know, mining is unfortunately still not viewed um, as correctly as a sector that fulfills every need and and every product that society needs derives from mining. Um, it's a fantastic sector, but unfortunately, it has this reputation. So only decision makers often are um, aware of what is really going on in mining. The public is not always informed um, of, for example, why is this project awarded to this company and not another? Um, so this, the, there is certainly a lack of transparency, which leads to um, a, a mistrust. And sometimes the mistrust is obviously also from mining communities who are near uh, mining companies um, and who have seen mining being done bad in the past, which doesn't mean it has to be done badly in now or in the future, but there's a lot for mining to contend to. Um, but mining is always in front of leading industrial practices like in safety. So why not in transparency? So there's, there's a lot that we can do there. And caveat, because mining is now has very stringent reporting on royalties and expenses in an active country, bribery, especially if you're in an EITI country, probably reports more than any other sector. However, when it comes to the general public, I think that the public itself doesn't necessarily know where or that it is able to look or find this information. Um, interestingly, last week um, in Chile, the CEO of Codelco was calling on the need for greater transparency for the copper industry. And he represents a public-private organization with private capital, but public interest. So it's interesting to see that the largest copper company in the world is saying we need more transparency. Um, you know, um, when other companies are not yet. I would say that the lack of trust in corporate self-assessment is a significant challenge 
um, that must be addressed to ensure effectiveness of these standards that exist. Um, we have two ways we believe we can do to address this. Increased transparency and accountability in ESG reporting would help with this, with the trust, especially if you make an independent verification of companies' ESG performance by a third-party auditor mandatory as a third line of assurance. This will require, of course, training of many more auditors equipped to do so. And secondly, increase stakeholder engagement and participation in the ESG reporting process, including civil society. I believe that this will make sure that ESG reporting reflects the concerns and priorities of diverse range of stakeholders. Um, and the IRMA standard is the most complete um, that we have at the moment. It includes gender as well. Maybe if all companies adopt IRMA and, for example, all of the TSM protocols, which is just very complete as well, it will alleviate concerns by the public. Yeah, sounds like a good way to end our conversation. But it's very clear to me that uh, not only has a lot been done, but even more still needs to be done. And so with those few words, uh, Barbara, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kammer Extractive Podcast. And I wish you well in your endeavors at the Women in Mining. Thank you very much, Sheila.